Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in February 2024. And today we are back with our final Boston Marathon recap with Sarah Vaughn. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And sorry, I'm the final one. I've been hard to track down the last few weeks, I guess. Not at all. No. In <laughs> fact, this was actually a pretty good cadence. Okay. So it was uh, totally fine. I'm actually glad to get you on here. And also, you know, sometimes with when races don't go well, and you know this um, as someone who's been racing for a long time, you know, sometimes it's nice to kind of have a little decompression space yeah. to get a really good sense of like, all right, not only what happened, but how do I feel about it and next steps. Whereas sometimes if things go well, or maybe according to plan, you can kind of Talk about it right afterwards. And sure. It's not like it's going to be much different than if you did it two weeks later. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So, but you did come on. Our last episode was right before Boston. So we did a whole Boston preview. So we don't need to talk about all that stuff. If someone didn't listen to that, I suggest go back, take a peek. Um, maybe after this episode, don't pause this. Yeah. Listen the whole way yeah. through. And then go back in the archives and check out the last one. Um, so I guess let's just talk about, you know, getting into Boston. In terms of you know the like the thirty six hours or so leading into the race, you talked about your expectations for what that would be like. What did it turn uh, just from a reality standpoint? How did that go for you? You know, smooth, bumpy, or otherwise? It was a little bumpy. I ended up catching a cold like right before I left, um, maybe a couple days before I got into Boston, and then fought it really well because I was able to sleep a ton when once I got there, um, marking around the obligations that I had. But yeah, I was getting like 10 to 12 hours of sleep every day and thought I kicked it in time. Um, I you know felt fine on race day as far as like stuffiness and fever, but um, maybe still had a little bit of lingering uh, virus in there. But um, yeah, you know, the 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 pre-race, the, the panel at the expo was wonderful. I actually um, got to meet a few people. I The funnest thing about that was I got a text from a client who didn't know I was a runner. And she was like, Sarah, I just... What? I just saw you on stage at the Boston Marathon Expo. She's like, which one is your alter ego, <laughs> the realtor or the runner? I was like, I don't know, but she had no idea. And so she, I got to run into her and, and chat with her for a minute. That was fun. Um, yeah, and then some. Does that ha I have to interject. Does that happen often where someone doesn't know that like this is like you're one of the best runners in America and they just have you as a client for real estate? Yeah, no, it happens a lot. So probably half of my clients are are my clients because they know me through running. Um, and then half of them just know me through the Sotheby's network, or I get a referral from another agent, or they just come to me organically through my website. And I do actually have a little bit of running stuff on my website, but sometimes they just miss it and they work with me. And then every once in a while, I'll be at a closing table or like having been working with a buyer for a couple of weeks. And they'll be like, so why didn't you tell us? We Or we Googled you or we found out or we saw you in the newspaper or whatever it is. Um, but I don't really like talk about it unless it comes up. A lot of my clients want to know. Uh, where the good trails are and, and things like that. So sometimes it comes up organically, but if it doesn't, I usually don't talk about it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's my, do you ever have a situation where someone's like, oh, I'm really excited to move to Boulder because I like to move around. I'm an outdoorsy person. Do you feel like, do I talk about myself now? Or do you like just kind of let them do their own thing and whatever? Yeah, the latter for sure. I don't, I don't ever bring it up. I just say I run a lot too. So I can tell you, and I also like feel that I intimately know the Boulder neighborhoods because I literally run up and down every street. So I tell people that. And like, sometimes they'll ask, like, well, how many miles did you run today? And if I say 22, they're like, Oh, wait, you must be like actually <laughs> training for something. So then, you know, if it happens organically, if the conversation comes up, we go down that road. But I usually don't like 
oh, by the way, and I'm not wear- usually wearing Puma gear at work, so. <laughs> right. No, so funny. Um, so the cold and sickness that you got, was that from one of your kiddos? Did you get that in transit? You know, do you know, like, you know, kind of like point of origin with that? Yeah, it was the kids. So it kind of trickled through all winter. I felt like we probably dealt with three or four viruses, but they all got them one at a time. So it would start with one kid and then go to the next. And then I dodged the first couple. And then I thought I was in the clear for this one too. And then I just woke up one day and was not feeling it. But you know, when you're in taper mode anyway, and your body feels kind of funny, sometimes it's okay to get a cold when you're tapering and as long as you're over it by the race. So eh, it, you know, it happens. Yeah. All right. Talk to me about race day morning. I know uh, from a weather perspective, this was interesting, again, especially being a New Englander and having some of my athletes ran the race as well. Yeah, I was monitoring the weather. I I live an hour from the start. Um, So like, I'm pretty familiar with like, you know, the weather patterns and everything. And it looked like it was going to be a perfect weather day. I mean, everything was aligning that way. It was trending all week in that direction, even 12 hours before the race. I I was on the phone with one of my athletes, like things are looking perfect. For, for this day, it didn't turn out that way. What was your observations of the weather and how, how keyed in to that are you leading into a race? I wasn't too keyed in, but I was prepared. So I brought a whole bunch of stuff to the start line with me, including a blanket because I thought it might be really cold. And uh, Kara told me one time, Kara Goucher told me to bring a comforter or something that you could throw away because um, it might be really cold. And they moved us this year from inside the church to a tent. So I was just prepared to be cold. And it, I wasn't. It was really toasty inside the the tent, stayed nice and warm. Um, on my warm up, I remember thinking it was actually not cold. It was very muggy and, um, you know, humid and a little bit on the warm side. So I warmed up really quickly. I was overdressed. And then between the time where I did my warm up jog, like an hour before the start, and when the gun went off, the temperature must have changed because I was cold on the start line. And I remember looking around, and it could have just been me, but I remember looking around and I had on minus Emma Bates. I was the only one that had sweats on still. I was just cold. I was not ready to take them off. And so I don't know. I just felt a little funky. And then we got that downpour, I don't know, around 10K. And I had been trying to run an even pace, so I was kind of yo-yoing off the back when they would surge up the hills and then um, slow down on the downhill. So I was already yo-yoing, and that rain came. I was wearing a hat because I thought it might rain the whole time and just got soaked, and then the wind came up a little bit, and it got I got chilled. Um, so I think that was the beginning of the end for me. But, um, yeah, the weather was kind of all over the place uh, in a short amount of time. Are you usually pretty sensitive to weather, whether it's race day or training? I mean, I, f- I feel like I've had good success in, in warmer weather and warmer conditions. So I wasn't worried if it was going to be a little warm. And then with the cold, I mean, we've been training through it in Boulder. So I wasn't, I truly wasn't worried about the weather. Um, I did miss my second bottle. So I don't know if I just got a little bit calorically deprived because I was at 10K and then it all just kind of happened and I just got chilled. It was like, I was like hypothermic borderline when I pulled into the med tent. So I don't know why it happened to me and not anybody else, but, but it wasn't fun. Now that we've had a couple of weeks, you know, between now and race day, have you come to any like, you know, firmer grasp on what could have happened or led to that since it was, you know, it was a cold day, but it wasn't 2018. Right. Where a lot, a lot of people were affected by this. Yeah. Um, and again, like you said, you were training in Boulder for a long time. Like I would think of the people there, like you would have been acutely um, prepared mm-hmm. for conditions to, you know, kind of rise up like that a little bit. 
Yeah, I was actually kind of hoping and and part of me was saying, you know, the worse the weather, the better that is for me. So I wasn't it wasn't a stressor necessarily. And I don't really know. Like I said, I don't it could have been that the virus was still lingering, that I missed my bottle, that I was wearing a hat and it got wet and it made my head cold. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if there's yeah. anything I really would have done differently either. So just kind of one of those things where you got to live with it. Yeah. And we should say, um, you know, you, you did drop at a drop at around mile 15 of the race. Yeah. When did you start to realize, okay, this is not quite going my way. I had a really sharp drop off in pace after 10 K. So maybe like the sixth or seventh mile. And it just, I just got really tight. And then after about maybe mile 10, I started looking for the med tents and then I would see one, I would run up to it. I would talk myself out of it. I would keep going, you know, and that kind of went on for five miles. <laughs> I, I didn't ever want to not finish a marathon. That was always something I said to myself is like, unless I'm bleeding or have a broken bone, I just want to get to the finish line. But when I got to 15 miles, there's, there was no way I had 11 more miles in me. So. All right. Can you put us into your head in terms of like the back and forth of like looking for the med tent, but also resisting the urge to go in the med tent. I say this as like, this is like something that so many runners are keenly aware of the push and pull of, do I keep going or do I not keep going? And I'm always fascinated what that inner monologue is like. It, It was hard because I knew as soon as I stopped, I would regret it. Or at least I would get a wave of sadness that I wasn't going to keep going. And they even asked me after I got into the med tent, do you, do you want to keep going or not? Um, and I, I had just made up my mind that that was going to be it for me that today, that day. But, um, yeah, the inner dialogue was kind of, uh, schizophrenic it was like you're fine toughen up run really hard get warmer so I tried uh, a mile in there between 10 and 15 to run a mile like just max effort to try to warm myself up and it just didn't work and then I'd be like oh I may- maybe I'm gonna cause damage my back got really tight I don't want to push through that there's a lot of downhill left and then two minutes later I would be like be easy on yourself it's okay you know like the gentle mothering voice and then I'd go back to like tough it up <laughs> you could do it. You don't need a med tent. Just push through it. You're fine. So I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. Now you weren't there solo. Your husband and coach Brent was there. Um, how about the rest of the family? How, who else came? Yeah, they were all there except for Kiki, um, who had a race of her own, uh, that weekend and frankly couldn't miss any more school with it being a Monday race. And she was, had AP tests and all that fun stuff. So, so everybody was there. Brent was out on the course with his cousin and, um, his cousin's wife. And um, in true Brent fashion, he was riding around with a taxi driver who he made friends with last year. So he called the same taxi driver and they devised this plan to watch my race and did the same thing they did last year. And then they had Kalia, um, our 12-year-old, with them as well. So Brent, logistically, it was kind of goofy, but Brent rode on the bus with me to the start line and then ran to meet them at the six-mile mark where our cousin and Kalia, and we had a camera guy, and the taxi driver all rendezvoused at the six-mile mark. Uh, I forget what town. Maybe, I don't remember, around six miles. I think the taxi driver needs to upgrade the size of the car. So I was watching the video yeah. on YouTube, and it was quite a few people were smashed into the back. Yeah, yeah. The plan evolved as we went. We were Originally, it was just going to be Brent and Kalia, and then we were like, oh, we should bring our camera guy for, for the YouTube content. And then his cousin, who um, we got addicted to marathons, or at least spectating them, because he lives – 
right at the half marathon mark of Chicago. So when we were there in the fall, he just like casually watched uh, my race and he was like, we got to come to all of Sarah's races. This is so fun. So, so they came, which was so sweet. I'm so glad they were there. Oh, that was because are they local? I just assumed no. that they lived in the area. <laughs> no, they live at the 13.1 mile mark of Chicago. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So it was really oh, sweet nice. of them. And then uh, the younger two, we had some good friends watching them back at the hotel. All right. So with your, with, with, especially with your kids there, yeah. what does that feel like in terms of when you're weighing the pros and cons of am I dropping? Am I not dropping? Knowing that. Again, I know we've talked about this before, like I think in the first episode, just like the power of like, you know, your mentorship to them, like as also as athletes, right? Looking up to mom, doing hard things, showing them, you know, what they're capable of doing. And you've done this time and time again, right? This isn't a new experience. You've done incredible racing your entire career. So it's not like this is a one off in either positive or negative direction. But does that ever factor in to the inner dialogue? Early when I was starting to not feel well, I that that was in there. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make them worry, you know, that they could, they weren't tracking me anymore. I didn't have my phone. There was, there was the logistical piece of it too. I didn't want them to think I was hurt or, um, you know, just like really suffering. So part of me wanted to keep going for that reason. But when it got to the latter stages of right before dropping out, it didn't even cross my mind. I just knew I had to be done. And it's funny when you, as soon as you're done and as soon as I got back to the hotel and they're all there, you know, then I thought about all that stuff and not to mention like the contractual obligations and not like none of that even factored in (laughs) when you're feeling that sorry for yourself. It's hard to like think clearly, but. Right. And, and, you know, the, the last part of the video you guys shared, everyone should go to your YouTube channel. We'll link to it in the, in the show notes here. You guys do a good job of showing the training and then that race day. Um, you're, you're having this moment with your daughter talking about marathons and, and, you know, and also another one, just like, hey, you know, talk to me about like talk, talk like in a Boston accent. And you're you're having these very normal parental conversations, but it's not a normal day, no. right? You just had like a very abnormal morning for you. Certainly not, certainly not the morning that you expected to have, right. and you've been thinking about for a long time. What's that like for you as a parent, like just engaging with your children? in light of what has happened in the previous like two or three hours. And you're like trying to be like, all right, this is just normal time with my kids. But at the same time, like this isn't a normal day. And I have to like, you know, have like a, an emotional reckoning with like how I'm going to process this. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse because I definitely just wanted to go back to my room and cry. Um, but you like, you can't, they're there and they're waiting for you. And and honestly, like, they're just happy to see you. They, they missed me for the last three hours. Gosh. So David was like, Oh mom, I missed you. You know, that's all he cared about. He obviously didn't have a, any concept of the race, but the older two, especially the older ones, like, I think they understand, um, that I was probably disappointed, but at the same time, like, Kalia wanted to go get ice cream and go shopping. So we had to traipse around Boston for the rest of the day. <laughs> it was a bummer, but it was cool. I don't know. And like you saw in the video, you know, we just kind of tried to keep it lighthearted. And I think abnormal is pretty normal for us at this point. You know, like literally I was, I posted about it. I think yesterday Meb came and sat with us for a while and was just chatting with the girls and he's known them since they were little. And Talk about the definition of abnormal yeah, being normal. Yeah, exactly. Like, holy cow. Right. So then he just gets up and leave, and I'm like, do you guys know who that was? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Kalia was like, yeah, isn't that the guy with three daughters? I'm like, yes, that's the guy with three daughters. Also it. known as the New York and Boston and Silver silver Olympic medalist. Uh, yeah. 
abnormal is normal. How funny is that? Oh, that's, that, that is hysterical. All right. So when were you able to actually sit down and either alone and or with Brent really kind of like do a full inventory of like what happened and then also just the emotional side of coming down from that kind of, um, that kind of race. I'm not sure it's really happened yet, to be honest. Um, I got back and I had a closing the next day and, you know, had to work that weekend. And then the following Monday I had a work conference, um, in Vegas that I had to leave for, go to that, you know, be very on and in the moment for that. And then came back and back to work. And then I'm, you know, I'm starting to train again this week. So I don't really know that it's happened. I've had like a few moments of it, but not really like, like fully. And I, I think that's okay for this one. I'll just kind of slowly work through it. Um, you know, you can't, can't be bummed for too long because it just keeps you from enjoying where you are uh, in life right now. So. Right. And I guess the positive is it's not like you suffered an injury. Right. That's like that, that, you know, again, silver linings, right? right. Like the idea of like, Hey, like I was, didn't go well, but like, it's not like I pulled my high hamstring and I'm going to be dealing with that for nine months right. or something like that. Exactly. I'm healthy. Um, definitely, you know, referencing the Meb conversation, just trying to focus on the positives. Uh, you know, we did a lot of things right and I'm bummed it didn't translate necessarily, but I don't think that we need to start questioning what we're doing or like start panicking about, about the training. Like, I think we still checked all the boxes. It just, just was a bummer that it didn't show up, but um, just, yeah, focusing on those positive things. How does it alter the potential schedule for the spring and the summer, considering that from a training and racing stimulus, that day wasn't quite as taxing as maybe you had planned for because of you know leaving the course at mile 15? Does it change, excuse me, anything from a schedule perspective moving forward? For a minute, we considered doing something silly like hopping in another marathon um, right away. You know, we were definitely looking at the calendar and there were a few like Copenhagen. There were a few others that are coming up pretty quickly, but as after a few days went by, I knew I needed to rest anyway, whether or not I finished the marathon, I still did 120 miles a week for the previous 10 weeks or whatever. So I still felt like I needed to let that absorb. So I really just took the two weeks anyway, like I would have, it doesn't really change anything. We're going to focus on a fall marathon, whatever that will be. And then the trials. Yeah. Frankly, the, the schedule, yeah, didn't really change at all. Um, how about non-marathon racing? Is anything just going to percolate um, that maybe wouldn't have been there, but can still kind of fall within the normal balance of what your training would be like anyway, but just to get like another training stimulus or just to get out there or someone who's raced a lot in their career, um, certainly more frequently than like twice a year that you would from a marathoning right. perspective. We were planning on doing some track this summer anyway. So that's what, that's what we're working on now. So I just visited the track this morning for the first time in a while because Boston, we weren't really on the track at all um, during that buildup. So yeah. So I was back on the track. I don't know what that exactly that's going to look like, you know, with track, you're sort of, you have to earn your right into these meets over and over again. So, and especially since it's been a few years, so probably do something smaller, maybe even local for, uh, you know, maybe in three or four weeks and then. Well, local for you is also like I mean, the best runners in the world. <laughs> could be world-class. Yeah, totally. It depends on the day, but that's a good point. But yeah, but I don't know exactly what that'll look like, but I hope to do a track meet like 
probably Stumptown or one of those later ones before USAs and then no real plans of racing USAs because that's when about when I would probably need to start my marathon build. But, you know, one or two track races uh, just to feel athletic and like my old self again. Um, I miss the track. I ran some 200s today at like quote unquote mile pace and felt a little wobbly afterwards. So it feels good to like wake up the legs a little bit. So when you're thinking about the track, is there a certain, I mean, you've raced so many different distances on the track. Are there certain distances that you have in mind? That's, that's a little bit of a source of contention right now in my household. <laughs> I mean, I just feel so comfortable in the mile and I, I want to race a 1500. That's I, I will race one 1500 this summer at some point. Um, but if training, you know, does translate a little bit, like all the strength work I've been doing, if for some reason I'm having amazing 5k, 10k workouts, then I feel like we'd be silly not to consider that. But at the same time, I don't feel this like overwhelming need to fill those gaps. I'm okay. Like never actually doing that. So <laughs> we'll see. Now, from a training perspective, is there a, is there a considerable difference between 1500 meter training and 5k training? No, not the way I did it, especially in recent years. Exactly. So, I mean, the the biggest difference is probably like those very specific workouts where I might not do like, like if we're going to focus on the 5k or at least consider doing one, um, just probably change one or two workouts in the next month. Okay. So, so something you could technically just train for, like, we're going to be doing track meets and you could just have the plan. And even if you weren't identifying the actual race, it would be pretty much the same training. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we kind of see how it goes. Brent's very, um, I don't know. He's very like organic. He, he likes to come to the track. He likes to see what I look like, you know, how my turnover is things that I don't even necessarily perceive. And then we adjust the workouts from there and we'll just see what makes sense. My heart is in the 1500, but my body might say that doesn't make much sense. So we'll see. And, how about from a, a just a strength training and power perspective? How has that evolved uh, during so your 10 weeks, 120 miles a week? And how does that potentially change uh, heading into the spring and summer? I love that the strength coach I work with is pretty involved in um, in what we're doing outside of the weight room. So not that he's planning workouts or anything, but he's uh, he's looped in on the conversations. And so if I tell him I want to do either a 5K or a 1500 in about a month, we will definitely work more on explosiveness and power and plyometrics and things like that, where uh, in marathon training, we don't do as much of that. I probably do more than the average marathoner just because my, my body's used to it. But, um, but yeah, it will definitely make adjustments in the weight room. That's great. All right. I feel like we covered a lot of the things that I wanted to cover at the same time. I know you live a rich and busy life. I know last time we talked, you're like, all right, we're still trying to like figure out like who's going to like take care no. of our kids during the day. That was stressful. We're working, we're doing all the running. Like did then you have like a resolution on that? Because I know that that was like something that had popped up like right before you left for Boston. It's like, oh my God, now we have to figure this out. Yeah, that was a super stressful time. I mean, it was like just terrible timing, but, um, but yeah, but yeah, we have a, a cup we've gone through an additional babysitter since then. And now we're on a new one and she seems to be fitting the bill. So, um, you know, that could have had something to do with the, the race, not going great too, is I feel like I have to acknowledge cause I'm human that my plate is only so big and can only hold so much at one time. And sometimes I just time it wrong where like the stress of life, everything piles on and you have this race that you can't ask to be moved a week later. <laughs> so, uh, there we are. Absolutely. And ultimately, I know you can't take a ton from the race itself, just how like how early on you're like, okay, this isn't this isn't working. But can you look back on the training at all and identify 
um, positives um, and things maybe that you would alter in the future that maybe they, maybe you tried out and maybe just they didn't quite work out for you? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, I I know that we have attacked the long run because it was a weakness of mine and I feel really proficient in that now. You know, we keep making small gains there, but like 20 mile up tempo runs are our bread and butter now. We do those once a week and I I feel like we need to keep going with that. That's uh, a great staple for marathon training. And I've just learned to love them. Um, Specifically for Boston, you know, we did a lot of the downhills like we talked about. I remember thinking both last year and this year, where are all the downhills? Because it just felt so rolly to me and it didn't feel like the smooth. It's not like CIM where you get these long straights of gradual downhill. It's like a little more up and down. So maybe we need to work on that a little bit more. Um, I'm not sure though. Like I said, I, I feel pretty confident in our training that we did. I don't think we need to really start grasping at different things. Right. And it's not like you're going to run Boston next year because you're going to be running in right. Orlando first yep. weekend of February. Yes. Slightly different plan next year. And it would be really nice if they released uh, that course profile to, so that we know what we're training for, but we'll right. see. My guess is it's going to be pretty fun. I think so too. Yeah. And I think whatever, <laughs> I think whatever fall marathon I do will also be the same. So we'll just, we know how to do that. I heard actually to, in order to enhance the spectator perspective, they're just going to run around Epcot. Yeah. It's just going to be 19 laps of Epcot, 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 Epcot. And people are just going to stay in like little zones. Yeah. You know what I mean? They can get all the food in Epcot. It's always a fun little place to be. My, You're just going to run around the big ball. My just, kids would be in heaven. My kids are like, we should do this all the time. Why isn't every marathon at Disney? Yeah. There you go. See, they can shoot off the fireworks when someone finishes. I, I think I think I nailed it. I think they need to include me. They need to call Matt. I agree. Just, here we go. We got we got ready to make it happen. Yeah. Um all right, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. We can reconnect maybe in six weeks, see how track training is going. Okay. And uh we can also identify where you're gonna be so people can follow along. These track these track meets, especially during COVID, I feel like it really highlighted the availability to watch some of these on live streams mm-hmm. and now these things are kind of like it's almost like when these aren't live streamed it's a surprise right so right you know, we can kind of include that into people's spectating calendar and go from there cool so sarah thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it yeah my pleasure talk soon